Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to get in to God's Word today, and uh, we're going to learn something that I feel, um, well, let's just, uh, let's just be honest with you. It's one of those things where uh, what I'm going to communicate today either has the potential and the power to really um, uh, embolden us and to strengthen us and to cause us to uh, walk into our everyday existence with a greater understanding of the plan of God, with greater assurance, or uh, it, it will be so foreign because it's not often communicated uh, in the church. It'll be so foreign that uh, you'll scratch your head or you'll, you'll have to go and, and test it. And if that's the case, I encourage you to do so. Um, I say this a lot, but I want to keep reinforcing it. Everything that I say, you should, you should go home and you should read for yourself. You should go home and you should study for yourself. And the reason why you should do that is because uh, the Scripture tells us to test everything. The Scripture tells us that we ought to be this kind of people. And, uh, and what I'm confident in is that the truth of God's Word will come through. Uh, God's truth will stand the test of time. It will endure to the end. So I, I, don't, I don't really have to stress too much right? I think we, I think preachers oftentimes we get ourselves and he is awesome. I love that. Anyway, so we get, uh, preachers often get ourselves a little caught up in trying to make sure that everybody agrees with us. And, and y'all know why that is. I mean, we, we all want people to say, yes, I agree. I, I'm with you. I'm on board. Um, but in the end, my job as a steward, my job is, is uh, 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 an assistant shepherd to the chief shepherd, <laughs> which means when he shows up, I lose my job and I'm happy about it. <laughs> okay, so um, so it's really important that we uh, that we test everything, that we run to the scriptures and we and we listen to the Spirit of God as He communes with us and communicates His truth to us. So Romans chapter eight, verses eighteen through twenty-five. These are the words of God. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, this is Christians, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Over the past couple of weeks, we have been, um, we've been parked here in Romans chapter 8, and we've been talking about what I've, what I've titled as the bookends of the Christian faith. The bookends of the Christian faith are, are as follows. On one side, it's this truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And on the other side, the very thing that shores up this life that we live is a, a vision of a future glorification, a plan that God has for us. So here's what's amazing, again, about these bookends. The, the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus gives us immense peace right now. Amen? To know that the God of the universe says, uh, I have declared that you are free, therefore you are free indeed, gives me peace. It gives me joy in this life. It gives me assurance that I can, I can walk boldly uh, before the throne of grace, not brashly, not arrogantly, uh, not demanding that God do anything for me because he doesn't owe me anything, but he loves me. 
Okay, And so I have peace that I can go before my Father. I have peace that the Spirit of God resides in my heart by which I cry out, Abba, Father, which is actually a, a, a Greek term for, um, for daddy. Okay, And, and so that, that makes people feel awkward a little bit. But the intimacy of this relationship is that God is our Father. And so on one side, I have this immense peace. And on the other side, I, I understand... Um, with future glorification, I understand that God has not just saved me from something, but he saved me to something. Amen? This is a huge deal. Uh, Many in the Christian faith uh, kind of uh, uh, position it in their mind that they have been set free from sin and death, that they they have been uh, released from the punishment of hell and damnation and all that other stuff. But the problem is they have no vision for today. They have no vision for this life. And and sadly, preachers have reinforced this idea by basically saying to people, um, you're always going to struggle this side of heaven. It's always going to be an uphill battle. You can't overcome. You're not really free. Somehow you're living in duality where you've been set free, but you're not really free. But we've proved that that's not the case. Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8 all communicate. We are no longer joined to that former master. We are now joined to our Savior. And what's impressive about that and what's really important for us to understand is that God does not share affection with any other, which means you are either completely separated from your former master and joined to him, or you're not his at all. And so these are really important things. Now, last week, uh, I shared something that I, that I feel is worthy of repeating, and, and I hope that you'll take it to heart. When it comes to the peace that we have in the, in the truth that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, when it comes to that peace, here's what I want you to take, uh, take heart of. The same God who spoke the world into existence, the same God who scripture records is saying, let there be light and there was light, is the same God that says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Okay? So, we believe that he created the world at the, at the voice, at his voice, at the word of his mouth. Why would we doubt that when he says you're free, you're actually free? Why would we doubt that? We shouldn't doubt it. We should have full assurance that we are free in Christ Jesus. So this peace is something that we need to rejoice about. We need to rest in. But today, what I want to do is I want to look towards this future glorification. Uh, I defined the bookends two weeks ago. Last week, I gave you some proofs for this truth that we are free in Christ Jesus, that there is no condemnation. And this morning, I actually want to draw your attention to what this glorification, this future glorification is all about. But in order to understand it, we're actually going to have to take a step back and look at the whole story of God. We're going to have to say, God, what have you been saying since the beginning? Because trust me, church, what he is setting us free to, future glorification, the redemption of our body, the purpose for which we are, uh, we are made is all awaiting us. And it is a big deal. Okay, it's a big deal. Future glorification, it's a big deal. Let me, let me give you three observations right off the bat to show you how big of a deal this really is. And all of these observations come from Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. The first one is this, that our suffering doesn't compare to the glory that is to be revealed. Our suffering that we endure in this life for following Jesus... And we're going to define this suffering in greater detail here in a little bit. But the suffering that we endure for following Jesus does not compare to the glory that is to be revealed. That's the first observation. We see that in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Some of your Bible translations say to us. But the word there is actually into or um, uh, or, uh, 
inside of its particular object. So it's in us that we're talking about this glory. This is not an outside glory. This is something that God has planned for us. It's reinforced later on in verse 23 when he talks about it being, or verse 22, when he talks about it being the glory of the children of God. Okay, It's the glory of God's children. So it's an immense glory. But the first observation that you need to see is that our suffering doesn't compare with this glory that is to be revealed. The second thing that I want you to see is that creation is anxiously longing for the freedom that comes from the glory that will be revealed in us. This is a really complex idea. But creation itself is groaning and longing anxiously for this particular glory to be revealed. Is that a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal, church. It's a big deal because that particular glory of the children of God sets creation free from something. Verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Wait a minute, Nathan, that's not what it said. Watch. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into or by the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation that was subjected to futility is set free by the glory that is revealed inside of us. That's the future glory. The last observation is this, that the glorification we're talking about is intimately connected with our identification. This glorification is intimately connected with our identification, who we are. And I'll go ahead and and give you the hint on that. It's the image-bearing nature of who we are. I don't know if you, if you think like I do, but if somebody were to tell me, I've got, um, I've got a present for you, I've got a gift for you, I've got something that I want to give to you, and when you open it, here's what's going to be amazing, when you open it, it's going to make your life better than it's ever been, ever, in all of eternity, in all of your past, what would you want to do? You'd want to open it, wouldn't you? Okay? I want to show you the magnitude of the future glory, the vision of God, what he is leading us towards. Because creation has been told their freedom is resting in that glory to be revealed. It is this, it's so big, church. What, whatever this is, and we're going to learn it, but whatever this is, it is enormous. It is massive. And it is the very, it has been always, and it is continually the purpose of God for his people. So future glorification, it's a big deal. It's not just that we have peace now. We're set free in Christ Jesus. Amen. But we are called to a vision that is going to set free all of creation. It's it's an amazing truth. So we're going to do a lot of turning today. So if you have your digital Bibles, get your pointer finger ready. And if you have your page Bibles, I want to hear rustling because it just makes me happy. Okay, so future glory. What is this future glory? Why is it such a big deal? Well, uh, it's such a big deal first and foremost because it's something that we began with. You're going to have to take my word on this until we get to the end of the message. But it's something that we began with in the garden. It was the original state of Adam and Eve. Do you all remember what the, the commission for Adam and Eve was? Be fruitful and multiply. That sounds fun. Be fruitful and multiply. Stop it. Uh, be fruitful and multiply and, and subdue the earth. Now, God is sovereign, right? God is sovereign, right? Wow, you guys are weak on this one. God is sovereign, right? Yes, he, he is sovereign. He is in control. And yet the God of creation who is in control created man and woman because man couldn't do it on his own. Man and woman, it's an important lesson. Anyway, uh, he created man and woman. Adam needed a helper. He creates man and woman and he has them accomplishing things for him. He could have subdued the world himself. He could snap his fingers and it's all subdued. But God works with his creation. He works with more than just his human creation. He's worked with his angels. They are messengers. 
He works with everything in creation. His creation declares his glory. Isn't that an amazing thing, right? God is sovereign. Don't miss it, right? But the God who is sovereign is sovereign enough to say, I want you to work with me. I want you to be a part of this. This future glory that we're looking to is something, truth be told, church, it's something that we had in the beginning. But of course, we all know something happened, the great fall of mankind. We sinned and fell short of that particular glory. In your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 32. Luke chapter 2, verse 32. This is the story of Jesus being presented in the temple. Um, and he is fulfilling, uh, his parents are fulfilling the law. And, and uh, uh, Simeon is fulfilling his duty and the particular task that he is tasked with uh, here over Jesus by dedicating him. I'm going to start, I'm going to start at uh, verse 29. It says, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. This is Simeon speaking, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles, say this with me if you have it, and the glory of your people Israel. Who is he talking about? as the glory of his people Israel. He's talking about Jesus. You see, what's really important for us to keep uh, returning to is whatever this future glory is, it comes by way of God himself. It comes by way of Jesus himself. Jesus is the glorious hope of Israel. You see, Israel had a task uh, originally, and that was through them, through Israel, they were supposed to bring blessing to the whole world. That was God's position for Israel. That was what they were supposed to do. It was never that Israel was supposed to be the chosen. They are, they are called the elect of God in the Old Testament. Um, it was never that they were to be the elect and no one else heard the message. It was through them that all the nations of the earth were to be blessed. And ultimately, we know that that came by way of the seed of Abraham, which Galatians tells us is Jesus, okay? And so they were supposed to be a blessing. I don't know if you know this, but as Christians, we are the hope of the world in today's world. The church, people use this phrase all the time, the local church is the hope of the world. The reason why the local church is the hope of the world is not because we have a Bible verse that says it, but because we hold the very glory of God, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. And what are we supposed to do? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're supposed to go tell people about the glorious hope that is to come. Okay, Jesus was the hope of Israel, and we need to keep that inside of our minds. Now, turn with me to John chapter 17. A lot of turning today. John chapter 17. Start at verse 22 and we'll go through to 24. The glory which you have given me. What was that again, church? The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Now this is an important distinction. Who is the them in this situation? It's more than just the disciples. Check this out. Reverse to 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy and, may, and it may be full in themselves. I have given them your word, Jesus talking to his Father, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. He's talking about his disciples now. Uh, even as I am not of the world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. He's praying for protection for his disciples. These are, these are already followers of Jesus. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world the Great Commission, uh, for their sakes I sanctify myself and they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. 
All of a sudden, Jesus, in his prayer to his Father, makes a change. I do not ask for protection, for strength, for the commissioning to go into all the world on just their behalf alone. I ask for more. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also who believe in me through their word. Who would that be, church? Us. That would be every Christian throughout the ages. And notice it says that, they, that the future generations will believe as a, a result of their word. Why is that? Because the Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, their word that they were preaching was the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel message is what ignites our hearts. The gospel message is what wakes up uh, sleeping eyes and deaf ears. The gospel message is what makes dead men come alive. It's an amazing thing, okay? And so he preaches the gospel, or we preach the gospel, and people's faith come by hearing. Okay, verse 21, that they may all be one. This is everybody. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the word may believe, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now back to 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. So what makes unity? The glory of God. In I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Now that's an amazing prayer that Jesus prays for all of us, that the Father would love us the way he loves his son. You should weep over that. On a regular basis. It's amazing. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. What are we looking for? What are we pursuing here? Well, it's the very hope of Israel, which is what? The glory of God, which is in Jesus Christ. And God wants us to see that glory, which of course is his salvation, but it is also our condition, the, the, the life that we live, the glorious existence of the children of God. And I'll prove it to you as we continue on. So we've got the glory of Christ that he gives to us. This is the context that is established uh, in John chapter uh, 20 or 17. Back in John 16, it seems to indicate that the Spirit of God is the vessel through which this glory comes. Now that confirms the idea that Paul makes in Romans that says, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ don't belong to me. Okay, now listen, I know that this can get a little heady and you're going, wow, what's this have to do with me? Trust me, it has a lot to do with you and I want you to keep your ears tuned to what I'm saying. It will, it will make a lot of sense at the end. So the context is that the Spirit of God is the vessel through which this glory comes, and this glory manifests itself in different ways. It manifests itself in love, it manifests itself in unity, all of these different things, okay? Now, turn with me back to Romans, this time Romans chapter 1. I'm going to walk you through where we've been and show you that this has been the story communicated all along. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse, that is, mankind. For even though they knew God, which communicates very clearly, we're not just talking about Gentiles here. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. But what took place? What happened inside of this? All of this is setting up what we did when we fell away from the glory of God. 
Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Humanity exchanged the glory of God, notice it, underline it in your Bible, we exchanged the glory of God for something that we thought was comparable, but it wasn't. Corruptible man, birds, creatures, all of this. Guess guess what that's called in the Bible? Idolatry. We gave up God for idolatry. Okay, And this idolatry is associated with our rejecting of the glory of God. Again, what I'm trying to get at is that God's vision for our future is, the, is a future glory. But we have to establish the case. We had it in the beginning. We lost it somewhere along the way. Jesus is the instrument through which it is returned. And what it does is important in the future. What we do in God's kingdom in the future is important. But Church, this has been happening forever, this idolatry piece. This has been happening since the fall of mankind. Turn with me to a more obscure book in the Old Testament, Habakkuk. Habakkuk, I love it. It sounds like I have a cold, but I don't. Habakkuk. I'm not sneezing. Nothing like that. None of my jokes are landing today. It's okay. They're not any good, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, they would, they would land if they were actually funny, somebody in the peanut gallery said. Okay, so I, wa- I want you to see Habakkuk, the prophet, says of Judah, says of Israel, who is what, according to Luke chapter 2, they are the glory of they are the glory deliverers, right? They are the glory bringers, God's people were, okay? Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But what is that in context of? That is in context of a righteous people walking after the, the plan and the call of God. If we as a people are walking after God, if we're living in obedience to him, guess what the world is filled with? The glory of God. That's what it says. But look at what exactly went wrong with Judah to lead to this prophetic word. Skip down to verse 18. What prophet is the idol when its maker has carved it? Do you know what he's saying there? What prophet is the idol that you made with your own hands? Or an image, a teacher of falsehood, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Now, I love the way this is said. Follow with me when you see it. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake. Are you kidding me? Like, listen, you're not Geppetto and this ain't Pinocchio, okay? So that was my best joke this morning. Anyway, okay. That was, that, why is it the unintended ones land? Anyway, (laughs) woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, to a mute stone, arise, and then look at the question he asks. This is unbelievable. And that is your teacher? That's who teaches you? What are you doing? What sense does this make? Oh, I know what it is. You've exchanged the very thing God intended for you to have. You exchanged the glory of God. That's not just something God possessed, but a standard to which we live. The glory of God. And I'll show you that in just a second. You exchanged that for things without glory. And guess what you get? You get their glory. Nothing. You get nothing. You don't get sound teaching. You actually get wood looking at you, stone looking at you, metal looking at you. It doesn't do anything, okay? So he goes on and he says, this is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Why? Because he is the possessor of the glory of God. And when we walk in his statutes, what will be true? Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord, the waters, as the waters cover the sea. Have you ever thought about that line? As the waters cover the sea? 
aren't the waters the sea? Yeah, it's a statement that says, as sure as that is true, so will God's glory be when his people are in him, when his people are abiding in him, when they are walking after him. His glory will be pronounced in all of the world. Church, what we need to remember is that that was exactly what God created Adam and Eve to do. Be fruitful as image bearers and multiply image bearers and subdue the earth. Bring his glory to bear on all that he has made. Okay? Now we're going to see the connection to all of that in just a second. Now Romans chapter 2, back to Romans. Romans chapter 2 verse 7. This particular passage reveals that eternal life is the result of seeking that glory. Romans chapter 2, verse 7. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. That's the result. You seek for these things, the result is eternal life. But let me make sure we don't lose Jesus in the, in the journey. Who is the glory of God? Jesus is. Who was the seed of Abraham that was supposed to bring glory to the whole world? Jesus. All of this story is connecting and making sense. Jesus is the one through whom glory comes. But look at Romans 3.23 one more time. A most famous passage. We, we all know it or we should know it by heart. But I want you to read the second half of it with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, we didn't just, we didn't just, um, we didn't just uh, not arrive at God's destination. That's true. We, we can't get to God. We, we're separated from him. But for Paul to write this in the letter, to join these two thoughts together, for all have sinned, and that's called missing the mark according to the scriptural definition, uh, for all those who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they're connected with our actions, which means when we don't live to the plan that God has for us, we fall short of the glory intended for us. Do you understand this? You're not just not arriving at God's destination. You're not even doing what he said to do. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is amazing is that that's in the, perfect pres or the present perfect tense, which means we still fall short. Why do we still fall short? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know what happened in the garden? Adam and Eve took it upon themselves. Do you remember what tree they ate from? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did you know that in the garden, they had access to the tree of life anytime they wanted it? Think about that for a second. They could eat of the tree of life any moment they wanted. God gave it all to them. He only prohibited one. And that tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know what Adam and Eve did not understand before that moment? They didn't understand good or evil. They understood, listen to God. Trust him. He says it, we do it. He says, don't, we shouldn't. That was it. You know what they were doing? Walking by faith. Because what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not faith comes or trust comes by you taking it into your own control, eating the fruit and doing it your own way. Do you see, no, so few people communicate the actual story that happens in Genesis. And so when we hear it, we go, really? I've never heard this. I, this doesn't make any sense to me. This is what happened. We fell short of the glory of God. We fell short of walking by faith at the, at the presence or the, uh, the, the substance of his word at every moment. Adam takes it into his own hands. God walks into the garden in the cool of the day, says, Adam, where are you at? And what did Adam do? Even in his shame, he took it into his own control. He said, I hid. I was scared. You see, if he, wa if he wasn't guilty, if that hadn't happened, if he didn't have the knowledge of both good and evil, he would have been like, I'm right here. I'm wondering why my clothes disappeared, but I'm right here. I don't know what's happening. He wasn't innocent any longer. He was broken. He was fallen, okay? Because what he did, so we just look at the garden and we say, you know what happened in the fall? We ate the fruit we weren't supposed to eat. No, we fell short of the glory of God. 
Why is it that God's vision for the future is glory? The glory, don't miss this. Why is it that his vision for the future is the glory of the children of God? It does not say the vision of the future is the glory of God. That's true. But it is the glory of the children of God. He is giving us something, something powerful. Because in the fall, all of humanity, all of creation that was subjected to futility was not subjected to futility just because he chose wrong fruit. It's because he surrendered the glory of God for what he wanted. We do it every day, church. We do it every day. God says, Nathan, trust me. And what do I do? I fear and I worry and I struggle. But guess what? Fear doesn't stand a chance in God. Why doesn't it stand a chance? Because his glory is there for you and for me. What happens in Romans 3.23? The reason why humanity has fallen is because we surrendered the glory of God. That's the real problem. So, Jesus, who is a light to the Gentiles, praise God, and the glory of Israel is the seed through which salvation comes to restore glory, to restore our relationship, to restore faith with the Father. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. We are waiting for the glory of God, according to Romans 5, 1 and 2. Last but not least, Romans 6, 4. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, because that's the one who's giving us glory or bringing us to it, so we too might walk in, and underline this in your Bible, newness of life. The writer connects glory and newness of life together as one really important thing. So here's how all of this ties together. Because in Romans 8, again, we started this morning off by saying, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed in us. Well, that sounds pretty big if my suffering is not comparable to it, right? Creation is longing for us to walk in that glory because it sets them free. Wow, that sounds like a pretty big glory to be returned to. And last but not least, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, the glory of the children of God reveals that our glory is connected to our identification, our glorification and our identification. So put this together with me. All of this leads Paul to that great statement in Romans 8, 18 through 25. The suffering of this present time does not compare to the glory that's to be revealed in us. Do you know what that suffering is, church? It's taking up your cross every day and following after God. It's not you stubbing your toe. That, that bites, right? Okay, fine. Right? Uh, it's, it's not that somebody fired you from your job. That's not fun, right? It, it's not those things. This is specifically talking about the persecution that comes from following after Jesus and the pain that we face. Jesus said we're, we're all going to face it, okay? And guess what? We are not going to see glorification unless we see our death, unless we see our surrender, our laying down of our lives. Look again at what Romans eight seventeen said. It said this, If children, we are heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if, underline it, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Suffering results in glorification. Suffering equals dying with Christ, which results in glorification, okay? This is how this connects, right? So the important thing for us to see is that uh, our suffering doesn't compare to the future glorification. Whatever you endure for Jesus Christ in this life, it does not hold a candle to what he has planned for you. 
I need you to think about that today as you go home. I need you to process the fact that we, uh, we cower, we tremble in our boots at the fact that we are at the prospect that we will be hated for Jesus' name. We, we tremble so hard, we never open our mouths to our friends and our family who don't believe in Jesus or reject Jesus. We don't open our mouths. And Paul has reasserted something important to, to us and says, it wouldn't matter if they hung you on a cross upside down. It doesn't compare to the glory that awaits you. So get out there. It's time to do what you've been called to do. It's time to speak what you've been called to speak. Church, we need to remember John 17 again. We are a product of those whom Jesus prayed for that we would come to faith in the word they preached. Which means there are people that will come to faith by the word we preach, but not if we ain't preaching the word. Because the sovereign God said, how can they hear unless there is a preacher? And that is why they're sent. Why God works with us, I am still utterly confused, but he does. So the idea here is that our affliction, our struggles, our suffering for the name of Christ, it does not compare with the future glory. Paul said the same thing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4.17. He then says, and I know I'm going long, guys. I'm very sorry. He then says that we look not to what is seen, but what is unseen. Paul tells us this, right? Here's what is unseen that he's referring to. 1 John 3, 2. Here's what it says. Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. Show of hands. How many of you know you're not finished yet? Everybody else needs to get their hands up. So I can see the unfinished part <laughs> from here. Anyway, so we are not, we are not, it's not been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, look at what we will be. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. You want to know what pure glorification looks like? Pure glory looks like? Look at the sun. If you want to know what is awaiting you, it is to be like the sun. It is not to be like the first Adam who screwed this whole thing up. It is to be like the second Adam who walks every day by the very word of his father. He does only what his father tells him all the days of his life. That's our call. Church, that's what we were made for. This is the vision of God. Future glorification. So I shared with you that very first point. That our suffering doesn't compare uh, to the glory that is to be revealed. The second point, creation anxiously longs for us to experience that uh, glory because their freedom is linked to it. This in turn helps us to understand verse 21. Creation is longing for the sons of God to be revealed. Why? Because of what we were supposed to do in the garden. Subdue the world. We were to be fruitful and multiply. Do you know this? Just process this. This is maybe a little philosophical for you. Do you know that when God made Adam and Eve, he began eternity, not temporal life? He began eternity in the garden. He said, here's man, take care of my stuff. Oh, by the way, there's the tree of life in the middle of the garden. Have a blast. It was eternity that began in the garden. Here's why that's important. So many people ask the question, what are we going to do in heaven? How many of you have asked that question? What are we going to do in heaven? How many of you have also wondered, if it's just a giant cosmic church service, we're worried. Yeah, it's not. It's not, and here's why it's not. Will we worship? Will we praise God? Will we sing of his name and, and praise him uh, you know, to all the, the creation and all that it serves him in heaven? Yeah, absolutely. But listen to me. I, I don't know about you, but I don't think human worship really stands up to the seraphim who have been before God for eternity past, present and will be in the future crying out to him holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come i still haven't written a song that good it's just not even close right in heaven what does it look like church in heaven it looks like the garden because that's where eternity was started what does revelation tell us it says that he's going to create a new heaven and a new 
earth and his temple is not staying in heaven. (laughs) His temple is coming down and resting on the earth. And guess what that means? That means God dwells with his people. And guess what that means? We get to subdue whatever he tells us to subdue. Isn't that amazing? Guys, the future glory is something different than what we've been taught. I'm, I'm proud that we don't have to go through cosmic church for eternity. I just, I'm glad about that. By the way, you won't be sitting on a cloud in heaven. There are no halos in heaven. And you don't become angels, so you don't get wings either. Oh. You can sing, I believe I can fly up there. Maybe God will work some magic or something like this. But it's really important that we understand what is happening. God is returning us to creation. God is returning us to set creation free. What is creation longing for? Us to walk the way we were intended to walk. This is my theory. Take it for what it's worth. But I believe God's recreation of a new heaven and a new earth is not particularly just throw the, whole th- the other thing in the trash can and then pop a new one in place. There is an easy way to understand newness as re-newness. That through the children of God, we would renew what we subjected to futility. I mean, I know the Bible tells us that God allowed it, but we were the cause of this craziness. Do you understand? So God says, I'm inviting you into this, and I'm inviting you to back what I had you do in the beginning, which is you to be my fellow worker, you to serve my creation. The creation is longing for us to be revealed, church. I, I don't know if I can wrap my head around that. I just don't know if I, if I can fully. Isaiah 55, 11 through 13. Listen, guys, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to preach the rest of my message, and you just have to... Smile. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 55. You know how much I deal with this when I'm up here preaching? I'm always going, I'm not hitting time. I'm not hitting time. I'm not hitting time. I panic so tough. I'm not panicking anymore. Isaiah 55. Okay, look at what is said here. This is just amazing. Highlight this in your Bible. Isaiah 55, 11 through 13. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not turn to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. His word always accomplishes. Verse 12, for you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Look at verse 13. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle or the thistle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Turn back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Listen to what happened in the fall. Then Adam, uh, then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken and to dust you will return. What the curse brought in Genesis chapter three, Isaiah 55 says, the new creation reverses. Thorns and thistles, no, cypress and myrtle. This is life. Church, God's story is far more complex than our children's stories ever taught us. It's far more complex and it's far more beautiful. We do not just get saved to go to heaven so we can play harps and sing with the angels and nothing real happens. We are saved and brought to glory to fix what we broke in creation. And creation is longing for it. They want the glory of the children of God to be revealed. Because then, and again, they will, they will resound. The trees, it says in Isaiah 55, will clap and praise God. 
The trees are stuck in eternal worship. We're good. No, <laughs> we, won't. We, we will worship. We will worship. But how do we worship? We worship by living it out. Here's the end. Here's how we conclude. Romans 8.23, whether it's the freedom of the glory of the children of God, the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, our glorification is intimately connected with our identification. This is what God is restoring. This is what he has always been restoring. So here's the conclusion. Our future glorification is and has been God's plan all along. God planned for eternity and the garden a temple in which his image bearers dwell and his image bearers reign. Do you know what resides in every temple? The image of the one that is supposed to be worshipped in that. You know what was put smack dab in the middle of the garden? God's image bearers. Because he was supposed to be honored through their life. Guess what will be put in the new creation right in the middle? You and I in glorification, in glory. That's what we're called to. So here's the big story, guys. Here's how all this plays out. God has given us two bookends of the Christian faith. One is that right now, today, as we sit, we have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But God has a vision for the future. And that vision is that we will, we will be the children who restore his creation. We will be the children who transform and change everything that we screwed up in the end. Guys, that should set us on a path of hope for the future. God has a mission and a plan for every one of us and the gifts that he has sown into us for eternity. That's amazing. That's amazing to me. I'm not living for just some cosmic heaven. I am living for a new creation. I am living for a new life. I'm living to live in obedience to God. I'm living for something greater on the other side where I get to walk hand in hand with the creator God. Amen? Amen? So I, I don't know. I don't know if your vision of what we're being saved to is big enough, but I pray that you will study God's word and you will find out that it's far bigger than what your Sunday school teacher probably taught you. It's far bigger. It's far greater. And we all are a part of it. Amen? We're all a part of it. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.